it's all about having the conversation. It's the same with every industry. You don't know who's going to walk through that door. You don't know who's going to be that next application that lands on your desk. And we have to keep ourselves open-minded that it's not about whether they are blind, deaf, in a wheelchair. It's about, can they do the job? Do they have the skills? Will they bring a difference to my business? The rest, frankly, is irrelevant. You are listening to Agriculture, a podcast that interviews a range of inspirational people from the farming community with a whole host of interesting tales to tell. Join us in conversation to find out what drives them and their businesses, where they get their inspiration from and what they love about agriculture. I'm Mary Jane Laurie and today I'm joined by Mike Duxbury from the Inclusive Farm, which welcomes students onto the farm to get valuable work experience. Welcome, Mike. Good afternoon. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. And I apologise if you hear a, a bark in the background. It's my little one-year-old Patterdale called Max. So oh, lovely. Uh, <laughs> very inquisitive about what I'm doing with headphones on. <laughs> That's all right. So can you tell me a bit about your background? What was your childhood like? Did you grow up on a farm? Yeah, well, I was I was brought up on the family farm, uh, which we took over when Grandad died. Uh, my dad took it over then, and uh, I was six years old when I went on the farm. And then six months later, it was when I lost my sight. So I guess most of my life has been on the farm uh, or in farming of some sort. What sort of farm was it? Uh, we were a mixed farm. We had beef, sheep, a uh, bit of dairy, but that didn't last long, An arable. So you had livestock from a young age around about you? Yes, always always had livestock. And uh, for my eighth birthday, my father bought me two pigs. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so you, you said you went blind at the age of six. Can you remember what it was like to see? Uh, yes, I can. Um, I still have um, very vivid memories of things like colours and certain things. I, I unfortunately contracted something called infantile glaucoma, um, which they didn't pick up. They thought it was cataracts, and so, of course, okay. they didn't treat it, and uh, it was too late when, once I'd gone blind. So most of your, your childhood and adolescence on the farm obviously being blind allowed you to adapt to a life. How did you manage to adapt with losing your sight? You know, I look back and I, I don't know how I really explain this, but um, I've always just coped with farming uh, on the farm. You know, I, I I get about, I don't take, I don't use a white stick. It mm -hmm. was only late, later years I got a guide dog, but that was because going out in the big world where I didn't know, but I've got a very good map in my head of the farm and my surroundings, and I just did. And, you know, I wasn't afraid to go in with the cattle or, you know, lamb with the sheep, uh, X, Y, Z, just like anybody else. I guess I just found my way. So, Mike, you applied to Agricultural College and you went to Warwickshire Agricultural College to study animal nutrition in the 80s. Is that right? That's right, yes. Uh, I applied to... All 36 colleges that were uh, available at the time and uh, got 35 lovely rejections. Wow. Okay. How did that feel, getting all those rejection letters? 
Well, as, as they kept coming in, of course, you know, your spirits yeah, drop. For me, uh, it was just a ch- another, yet another challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the funniest one, I won't name the college because it's not fair. I quote, dear Mr. Duxbury, thank you very much indeed for your letter. Unfortunately, we're unable to accommodate your applying and you attending our college as we're based on a main road. <laughs> I mean, it's laughable, but that is shocking, really, isn't it? It is. And looking back, of course, it's shocking. But, you know, that's the way it was. And But, but very fortunately, uh, Warwickshire, you know, called me in and were very honest and said, we've, we've never had an application from a blind person before. We haven't got a clue what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> but perhaps between us, we can work something out and at least, you know, look at the opportunities I said, well, you have a farm, let me come there for two weeks, and then you assess whether I'd be good enough to come on one of your courses. And the rest of the say is history. And when you get those rejection letters with a completely nonsense reason, it, it must be disheartening, but it also must make you even more determined to make a success when, when you were accepted. Yeah, t- totally. I mean, you know, I think if you want something enough in life, you know, you don't let a simple rejection put you off you know and and I do believe that in life rejection is a good thing in some cases because it makes you a more determined but b it helps you look at yourself and reinforce the drive you have to succeed in life and in the things that you want to do with the skills that you have. You studied was animal nutrition? My degree is is in Livestock management and okay. uh, yeah, and, and animal nutrition. So, when you left college, what what were you aiming to do at that point? Well, <laughs> and this is where it gets really bizarre because I actually went to the pig and poultry fair, which was held in May, sort of two months before I left college for the final year, and I got a job whilst I was at the pig fair. No, really. Uh, I, I, they were very much like they said. They liked my attitude, they liked my drive, and they liked the fact that I'd made the effort to go to the pig fair, talk to people, and it was Paul's Agriculture, which was the feed animal feed company, offered me a job literally two weeks before I'd finished college. Perfect timing. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So, what was your day-to-day work life like? What was your job role when you worked with them? Well, because of my passion and obviously my, my love of pigs, uh, especially, mm-hmm. um, I became the junior pig specialist working with a senior guy. And my role was to go around and work with him selling pig feed to pig farmers. But also, we, we were quite cunning because one of the areas that I excelled at in college days was obviously because of my blindness, things like I was brilliant at doing pregnancy diagnosis using the ultrasound systems because of my hearing. Oh, okay. Um, so we used to offer that as a service to the farmers, which, of course, no other feed company could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got an awful lot of pig business with the extras on top. <laughs> so I spent a lot of my days learning about pig feeds and selling pig feeds but also using my other skills. So my knowledge of pigs, 
you know, I really do and really have worked hard to really know my pigs and, you know, offer things like doing the pregnancy testing. And also I used to work closely with some vets uh, because I was damn good at lambing because, of course, my eyes are in my hands. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess I found my way, you know, I think in life we all find our little niche and no matter what our barriers are, uh, if we really are passionate about what we really want to do, we find that way around it. Absolutely. I think that's that's key, isn't it? Finding what you're good at and then also being able to sell that for, for your employer. You having that extra skill that their other staff didn't have. It's just an extra level of service for your customers. So how accepting do you think your former customers were of your disability? One of the reasons why I've done what I've done now, I have never experienced any discrimination in farming whatsoever. Really? I've had I've had conversations and you know yourself how blunt and brutal farmers can be you know they've got they've got time to as i call it pussyfoot around and beat around the bush and all that stuff they'll just come out with it and that's that's what makes them special because mm -hmm. you know i know what people are thinking i know what people are desperate to ask and a lot of people just don't just simply don't do it uh, and that that in itself is you know quite difficult if you like but farmers just come i mean I won't name names because um, he's still around, but I know a very good farmer in Cornwall. Who I think the, the nearest went to it, I sat down with him. He said, oh, Mike, I didn't know you were blind. I said, uh, yes. I said, it's not something I just, you know, I went, I ring up and say, hello, I'm Mike, I'm blind. <laughs> and he, he just laughed and said, right, let's talk about this pig feed. And that is the only thing I've ever come across. That's brilliant. That's reassuring to hear that that you didn't feel that you were you know being excluded for a disability. So, you worked in you know as a feed specialist for a while, and then you moved to a job in telecoms. Is that right? Yeah, I did the feed side thing for five, six, seven years, and then I actually I, I was doing. And then I worked as a stud manager for a pig breeding company. Um, okay. Because I, I just really. I guess what I wanted to do is, because of my thirst for knowledge, I really wanted to see both sides of the pig industry, both the practical side uh, and actually be part of it, as well as, you know, going out on farm and, you know, spouting what I've learned in books and from other things. You know, I've I've got all my certificates, you know, I'm qualified in AI. I've got okay. my craft, craftsmanship and blah, blah, blah. But I guess I really wanted to, you know, be part of the day to day and learn all about if things don't go right, how it can affect the farm income, the farm business. So I did that for a little while. Uh, you know, farming, of course, is not very well paid. Certainly wasn't back in then and not much better since. I just got married. My, my son was born mm -hmm. um, and I felt like I needed more income. So yep. I, I took a seven-week Christmas special uh, at Vodafone just to go in and learn, earn a bit of cash for Christmas. And once again, you know, my ability shone. Uh, I helped the company on the accessibility side in a big way. And uh, when I it came to the end of my Christmas contract, they offered me a job to 
deal with all the accessibility side for the business. Um, and I went from just working in the call center to global head of um, division. That's incredible. How long were you in that role for? Um, I left there in 2007. Okay. So I was there about eight, eight nine years. Yeah. Uh, and then I didn't set up my own business doing exactly the same thing, but I wanted to broaden my scope, not just in telecoms, but I, I, I was very fortunate that I worked with people like Manchester United, British Airways, other telecoms, other businesses that really wanted help with making sure that they're, they're themselves were, were, were really looking at diversity uh, in their own field. Yeah. So that's always been a sort of theme for the last sort of 20 years or so. And then you decided to start your own farm with those sort of themes in mind of inclusivity and equality and opportunities for everyone, I guess. So tell me a bit about the inclusive farm. I was approached in 2020 uh, with a story which really horrified me uh, about a lady uh, phoned me from Scotland and um, her brother wanted to follow a path in agriculture. Again, he was blind and every door was shut on him uh, that he ended up not doing his dream. And I put that out on LinkedIn to a few people and the response I got from other people whose friends, family, uncles, cousins, nephews, nieces, who'd had the door shut on them, just, it was like a tornado. I just was overwhelmed with the stories. I mean, some were just horrific. Um, yeah. I, I won't go into the, the real serious side of it, but, you know, rejection is a, a horrible thing for some people, especially when they've tried an awful lot in their life just to better themselves and get opportunity. Um, and because of their disability or situation, you know, that they've ended up on the scrap heap. And that to me mustn't happen. It just mustn't. Not in this era we live in now. You know, it, it's discrimination at the best of time is horrible. Uh, but to destroy people's lives is, is just not not very amusing. I guess in all that time since when you were a student yourself applying to colleges, you know, 2020s, only a few years ago, it must have felt like in some ways nothing has changed despite no. all that time elapsing. And, it, you know, it, it feels as an able-bodied person that society is changing and people are more aware of disabilities and inclusion. But it sounds from the stories that people were sharing with you, that that's not the case. So there's clearly more work to be done there. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be done. But but but, but anyway, the upshot was, um, I, I my partner, who's an amazing individual, uh, she said to me, well, you know, what are you going to do about it? Because you're a strong character. You can make a difference if you really want to. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, look, let's set up a farm. I said, because that's farming is what I know best. And that's what I, and where I want to be. Um, and let's show the world what disabled people can do. And then let's get, give the opportunity for other people 
to come to the farm and experience what a farm is like that's set up by a disabled person for others like-minded, but, but also to bring able-bodied people and, and show them that disability isn't a dirty word and isn't something to be frightened of and actually, you know, go back and talk to people in their own industries about, you know, um, giving opportunity, you know, where, where possible. When I say where possible, the way I look at it is if you have the skills, doesn't matter whether you have a disability or not, if you have the skills, that should be good enough for any employer. Absolutely. So you had this this dream then of starting your own farm. Did you have some land or did you have to then go about nope. trying to find, <laughs> said no, to go no, and we, find we, some yeah, land? I, 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 we, my partner said to me, what do you want the farm to look like? Yeah. Because I can't get my head around it. So I said, yeah. okay. Um, so we went out and we bought a load of Lego and I built the farm in Lego. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and once she got an idea of that, she, she drew it herself. Yeah. Um, and we sat down and we put a fine, we put a business plan together, um, how we wanted to do what we wanted on the farm, how we wanted to do it, etc. Then we got to put the money in. So we sold our beloved Continental Motorhome, which we mm -hmm. adored, and we put a chunk of money in the pot from our pockets. And then we put a, a, a message out into the farming industry people we were looking for a piece of land either to buy or to rent we got a response from an agent uh, part of Savills yeah um, and they said well we have a client who has seen your project at plan and thinks it's brilliant wants to help and we want to offer you a piece of land that you can rent at a small small rent fantastic um, so it was a greenfield site, mm -hmm. uh, and I remember walking into that field on the 19th of August, 2021, and it was a field full of ragwort and nettles and thistles, and I took, looked at Ness, my partner, and said, well, this is a good start, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a blank canvas, is that what you call it, Mike? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, we're 18 months. We started, I started drilling the first holes for the post on the 11th of September when we signed the lease. Mm -hmm. And 18 months later, the farm is built by myself and my partner. Uh, and we've had students in now for 14 months and a lot of other people who have been um, and experienced it in a safe and a well laid out environment for their particular needs. And I'm very proud because I've never built a barn myself. No. <laughs> um, but that, that was my proudest moment of building the three bay barn myself, uh, purely from out of a, 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 drawing, a drawing in my head. And we built all the pens, we built all the shelters, laid it all out, did all the fencing, everything, just Ness and I. And I'm damn proud of it. I bet. And something sounds like something to be absolutely proud of, all that effort and hard work to get to that point where you've got something that you can open up to members of the public. So just describe to me what the site's like when you go in. Have you got some grazing ground or is it all sort of pens? How's it laid out? Well, no, we have, okay, we have seven paddocks. 
Yeah. Um, and they're all so the farm is on a, a slope. It's on very sandy grounds, so we don't have an abundance of grass. Mm-hmm. So forage costs are quite high. Okay. Um, we put a gateway and a driveway in, and the farm basically runs in a straight line from the bottom where we have our parking and our cabin. I've got a, like a classroom come and a disabled toilet or what have you. We then got the what I call the farmyard, our main farmyard, where, of course, the pigs are. They get the uh, pride of place. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and our food room and our barn uh, with all our hay and straw there. And then from there, we go up the hill. We have the chicken pen. We have the sheep pen. We have the geese and duck pen. And finally, I have two biggish paddocks at the top, which I want to put. There's some goats in at the moment, and but I'm looking to put a couple, some cattle in there as well. So it sounds like you've got a nice variety of livestock for for kids and young people to to really experience the different types of animals that they might want to work with. Uh, absolutely, and that was always the intention: is to have in the farm itself is is a reflection of what a big farm would look like you know so we have um I say a variety of of livestock where you do variety of tasks so yeah. you know you don't come and just cuddle and pat the pigs or the animals you come you learn to trim feet of sheep mm-hmm. you learn to ear tag you learn to weigh pigs you learn to gather eggs um you learn to handle the animals because you know I'm a big believer animals love being handled and it makes the relationship between myself and my animals so much better if you're handling animals on a daily basis. And also, it's my way of picking up any problems, any health issues, any problems with the animal, because by getting hands-on and being close, I can hear, smell, taste, whatever, yeah. um, things that are going on around me. I think that's important for from a health and safety point of view as well when you're bringing people that are not used to animals onto a farm that they are well handled aren't they so that they're not going to be startled or and and the young people aren't afraid to to get in there and get hands on if you've got livestock that are sort of used to being handled and you know you're you're comfortable that nobody's going to get hurt in those sorts of situations have you had to make any other adaptations to the way the farm's set out or structured or the way that you run it to make it as accessible as possible i read that you have um, different types of gates on your pens, for example, so that you know where you are. Yeah, all, all the pens, have, and I did this deliberately, every pen has a different frontage. So we've mm-hmm. made the, the fronts of the pens all different from a tactile point of view. We also have some matting on the floor in front of the pen. So when you're approaching the pen, you know when you hit that matting, you're sort of three feet away from the actual fence. Yeah. Uh, stroke gates uh, and that just gives you sort of an idea of proximity if you can't see everything's obviously on the flat so we can provide access for we- people in wheelchairs or poor mobility yeah um, there's plenty of um, hand holding rails not rails as such but you know wooden rails on top of the the, the fences so people can uh, if they need a bit of balance support they've got it but other than that, you, if you were to come on there, you'd just see a basically a working farm. And, you know, me stro- strolling around. I mean, I feel obviously very comfortable on the place, walking around, you know, unaided, 
because obviously having built it, I know where everything is. Yeah. Um, but but others find it easier to get around because it's you know as you know a, a lot of farms develop over many years with father son grandfather you know putting a barn up a cattle shed or this or that or the other and it and quite often it can become a higgledy piggledy collection of uh, what different generations create the beauty about what I've been able to do here is I've been able to create it in one go. It to allow, if you like, uniformity, uh, and that helps individuals like myself get about better. Uh, and I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. That that does make sense, as you say. Just you've been able to design it with disability in mind from the start, um, and as you say, sort of older traditional farm buildings where you've then added things on. It's more difficult, possibly, to make them as accessible. But it does sound like there's small things that could be done like the matting and the different handrails and things just to make you know farms more accessible if what would you say is the most rewarding part about working with the young people that come onto the farm what we recognize and and i recognize this well i i knew it straight away look we're not trying to get people every disabled person to come along and work and go into farming Um, the purpose of the farm is to really take these people, open them up, and get things like their communication skills going, their teamwork, their ability to think, problem solve, because all these things are transferable into other industries. So, you know, it's about tapping into their confidence. Uh, You know, we, we don't have any negativity on our place. If you, you know, as I say to people, you leave the can't, at the gate um because when you're on the farm we all work together if there's a problem i'll say okay let's stop think what do we need to resolve the problem what equipment do we need what is the problem and we work out and we have a couple of uh, lads who you know they started with us 14 months ago they would come on the farm they sit in the corner wouldn't speak mm-hmm. now I can just give them a task and they'll gather the people together and they'll supervise them. They'll get them working together. Their confidence is sky high because now they have hope. They have hope that there's a future for them and people like them uh, because of what we've offered to give them a, a view of accepting them for who they are. That's fantastic that you're able to give all these young people that that opportunity. And I think, you know, having them regularly visit the farm as well just allows you to build on the skills that they're they're learning every week, doesn't it? It just gives them, as you say, that confidence building. Yeah, it it is about giving them, you know, we all want a future. We all want the nice things in life. We all want holidays. We all want good things, you know. And, you know, like I keep saying to people, all of my staff the students uh, the teachers uh, everybody so you know everybody's entitled to a future and everybody's entitled to be treated like a human being yeah and the the point of all this is uh they now can learn these skills and they now have hope that there's an opportunity for them you know that that in itself is worth uh, an awful lot you know the world owes them nothing and if we want anything in life, 
we have to, no matter what our situation is, we have to get off our bottoms and work hard and go and grasp those opportunities. But you can't do that if the world is forever shutting the door in your face. I did read when I was doing research for today that 90% of UK employers say that it's difficult or impossible to employ a visually impaired person and that disabled people are two times more likely to be unemployed than an able-bodied person. What yeah. do you think we as farmers and as an agricultural industry, what can we do to, to change that? I worked with a number of people back in my day when I was at college. And, you know, I recognised, OK, realistically, I'm not going to spend my time. I can't go out there and chase sheep round a field. OK, realistically, mm-hmm. as a blind person. So we first of all, we have to be realistic about our, 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 our choices. That's yeah. the first thing. OK, then we look at all the things we can do. Now, obviously, in, in many cases, pigs are kept in our, our quite intensive environments. They're usually kept in, in pens or, you know, uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of outdoor pigs now, but back in the day, there wasn't. They were mainly kept in more enclosed environments. I was in my element because my spatial awareness was good enough to accommodate the environment the pigs were in. Yeah. Hence why I specialised in the pigs. Now, once I did that, then I could really learn about that product, about that animal, about that industry. And there's so many opportunities. You know, I went into the feed trade, which, you know, you don't have to see to work with animal feed. You have to have the ability to formulate a diet, talk to farmers, you know, and all the other skills like communicating, working as a team, problem solving, blah, blah, blah. They're the things you need, not your eyes. And I think if you looked around you in the farming industry, you know, with supermarkets, with all the allied industries that work with agriculture, then you can start to understand there are opportunities for people with disabilities to work in any industry, like I always said to people, they could still work in the motor racing industry. They may not be a racing driver, but they could work in the industry doing other things. Yeah. You know, and it's all about opening your doors and saying, if you have the skills, if you have the knowledge, and if you're prepared to work hard, it doesn't matter what your situation is, you bring something to the team. How important do you think it is to have diversity represented in farming? I think it's absolutely crucial. And the reason why I say that, as you know, um, with the work you're doing, farming is having to diversify in its in its in it, in itself. You know, we're looking for opportunities to where farms can make money through different opportunities whether it be setting up campsites yurts you know looking at how we work with the environment etc so if we're if we are looking at diversity in the practical sense surely it makes sense to look at diversity in the how we think and how we think means the more accepting we are of difference the more we'll bring those ideas to make the farming opportunities 
uh, go forward and thrive. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Mike. That's You've just summed it up in a nutshell there, isn't it? So it's just bringing new opportunities to a, an old industry, I would say. So finally, Mike, what is success for you and how do you measure it? Success for me at the moment is getting people like yourselves to talk to me, to get mm -hmm. the message out there, to get other people thinking, other people talking, other people starting to consider what they can do. You know, farming is a very dangerous place. And a lot of people, as you know, every year get injured in farming. And we have two opportunities there. We either throw them out of the industry and say, right, we'll pension you off because you're no longer any good to us. Or we tap into their resources, their knowledge, their abilities, again, in different ways. So, you know, it's all about having the conversation. The same with every industry is somebody, you don't know who's going to walk through that door. You don't know who's going to be that next application that lands on your desk. And we have to keep ourselves open-minded that it's not about whether they are blind, deaf, in a wheelchair, you know, male, female, whatever. It's about, can they do the job? Do they have the skills? Will they bring a difference to my business? The rest, frankly, is irrelevant. Thank you so much for your time today, Mike. I think we'll finish it on that note because that was just a, a brilliant way to end today's podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Agriculture. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our show. Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find our contact details in the show notes. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.